This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, welcome to Politics by Faith. We recently did a special on our radicalized universities. Uh, we ended with a, a short thing about what our universities used to be and uh, what they are now. And it's such a, it's, I lament, I lament it. Harvard's motto used to be, um, it's like for the glory of Christ. <laughs> what? Yeah, they were all seminaries. Anyway, we talked, we did a little bit about that at the end of the, this show. Uh, so you can skip to the last like five minutes if you just want to get the Christian part. Uh, but if not, you can enjoy the whole special here where we talk about our radicalized universities. We talked to a college professor, talked to a recent UPenn grad, uh, talked to Jason Rance, the author of What's Killing America. And the question is, would you send your kids to, well, any of any college at this point? There it is. Hey, America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being our latest special Inside America's Radicalized Universities. Should you send your kids to Harvard? They go, Slater, my kids don't ever get into Harvard anyway. Okay, no, any school, <laughs> any college. If your kids are coming up on college age, you are still in a tough spot right now. There's no question that our colleges are a den of thieves. There's a solid chance that you drop your daughter off looking like this, like the girl on the left. And there's a good chance that she comes home back by Thanksgiving looking like the girl on the right. That's the same girl. There's a good chance that if you drop off your son, that they could be like the, the, the punter for the bills, Matt Ariza, who was falsely accused of, of raping a girl, lost his job with the bills. Took a few years before she admitted that she, I don't know, made that part up. Whoops. That happens to a lot of men. Would you send your, should you send your kids at these, to these places? So I went to Yale, graduated 2007. I loved almost all of it. I got out alive. I was the token conservative on campus. What really saved me though, as I look back on it, was being on the swim team, which was most, full of mostly conservatives. But athletes at Yale are a different school. We, we literally called it Yale 1 and Yale 2. They're two different colleges. But it was pretty insane back then. As insane as Yale was in 2007, all schools are like that now. You may remember your college experience and you remember how much fun it was. It's not what it is anymore. It's not what it is. But we're still in a period of time where a college degree is still of some value. I don't know how much longer that's gonna be the case. More and more companies and law firms and investment companies and all the rest are saying, we're not even, we're not even gonna hire any more Ivy League grads. Just the, the drama to value ratio. I mean, Wall Street Journal wrote an article about this the other day. The drama to value ratio of an Ivy League grad is not worth it anymore. So universities today, they range between a waste of money and a national security threat. I don't know where you want to put them. It's a waste of money in the sense that it's just like this big giant party. Like you're paying for your kids to, to just get drunk four nights a week or and just have fun. Or it's, oh, it's a, you, like these universities are like a threat to the nation. We can make a, the waste of money point 
real quick. In 2006, the president of Harvard was Larry Summers, and he was fired because he was given a speech where he was thinking out loud about why there's such a discrepancy between men and women in science. And he said, ah, maybe there's an innate difference between men and women in different ways. He was fired for that. Larry Summers was the secretary of the treasury, chief economist at the World Bank, youngest ever Harvard econ professor to get tenure, published six books and over 100 academic articles. Claudine Gay, the current president of Harvard, she's published 11 academic articles. We now know that they're all plagiarized in unforgivable ways. She's written zero books and she's done nothing outside of academia. She is black though. So at best, these places are led by mediocre diversity hires. At worst, they're national security threats. And I would argue that every problem we have in America stems from the university system. John Ellis in the Wall Street Journal made that point recently. Name the problem. Name the problem we have in America. Okay, out of control crime. That comes from the university. This idea that the criminals are victims. We shouldn't punish them for it because they're a victim of their circumstances or whatever. That came in the university. Poorly educated and sexualized kids. Okay, that's academia. We gotta separate kids from their parents in every way. We gotta sexualize them younger and younger. That they became a university. Um, a media that's the enemy to the people. There, there are journalism departments across the country with literally zero conservatives in them. Not one, no professor who's conservative. How about censorship, shutting, shutting down conservatives? Okay, it came from a university. That uh, we can't, you can't have real freedom of speech because the, there are oppressors. So we have to shut down the oppressors in order for the marginalized to actually have a voice. That's all universities. Open borders, of course. The university mindset that that nation states lead to wars. And, and we should all be global citizens instead. All of this stuff comes from our universities. And we keep dropping our kids off there, thinking it'll be fine because they, they need to get a college degree. And you're handing your kids over to Marxists. And at a private school, you can now do that for the low, low price of $70,000 a year. Everything wrong in America can be traced back to our universities. These are the people who choose our elites. They're the ones who choose our professional class. Colleges and universities, they're, they're like the Panama Canal of the professional class. The doctors, the lawyers, the nurses, the teachers, the directors, the producers, and journalists. And it was a Marxist, the Marxist revolution that was to, well, first they thought they could get the workers of the world, but it wasn't enough. So they're like, we gotta get everyone. We gotta go into the universities. We gotta take over everyone and everything. And it was a brilliant plan and they've executed it perfectly. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. 
and it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Someone made the point that academia has died. No, 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 no. Academia, as they define it, has never been more alive. Jason Hill, he's a professor, I think a philosophy professor at DePaul. He said the universities are a living, breathing national security threat. Function as indoctrination centers whose twin goals are the destruction of the U.S. Republic and of Western civilization. Breeding grounds for enemies of the state beyond reform. And one deals with them the way one deals logically with any national security threat. Academia is not dead. It's never been more alive. It's never been more effective at what it is intended to do. See, the left, they've, they've did something really smart. The left can't build things. The leftist mindset is to destroy. Jesse Kelly the other day, uh, he made this tweet about people who are confused by queers for Palestine. Like, like if you're queer and you go to Palestine, they'll throw you off a building, they'll kill you. So like, how can you be a queer for Palestine? Oh, there's, there, that's what Jesse said. Different fingers, same fist, that's it. Different fingers, same fist. The goal is to destroy, that's what the fist does. The goal is to destroy what is good, beautiful, and true. And they know, the left knows this, they know they can't build things. So they just decided to infiltrate things, infiltrate things that already exist. And not only that, but things you have to buy, right? Like you, you have, have to, you have to send your kids to college. Of course you don't have to, but you know what I mean, right? They'd say, you, oh, if you wanna be successful in life, you have to, you have to watch Disney movies, you have to shop at Target, you have to buy Bud Light, you have to watch the NFL. Notice the left, they didn't make a new woke NFL. They didn't make a woke beer company. They didn't make their own woke university. They just took over the things that already exist and say, you have to buy them. You have to go to them. And it's taken, they got away with it for a long time. It's taken a, a long time for people to wake up that, you know what, I don't have to do that, actually. But still, we're at a place where you're a weirdo for, for not engaging in these places and things. And they built this academia as their fortress. It's their fortress of wokeness. It's impenetrable. Literally, tenured professors, super woke corporation boards. No one even knows how these like, corporations work. So they will be able to constantly churn out professionals forever. Nurses, doctors, lawyers, teachers, artists, journalists. They control the choke point of every professional class. So that's why it affects all of us. What happens on college campuses does not stay on college campuses. That's why all this college stuff matters. These places are breeding grounds for these types of people. This is where they, they, they create their woke foot soldiers who then go out and take over everything. And they're getting better at it and they're getting younger with it too. It's now in our high schools, in our grade schools, all the way down to kindergarten. I think we know about it now. The question is, what do we do about it? And that's what we're going to talk about in this show today. Campus chaos, America's radicalized universities. Are you sending your kid to college? Would you send your kids to these colleges as they are right now? Mike Slater, the first TV, spread the word. Our podcast for years now has been sponsored by Patriot Gold Group. So grateful for them. Great guys, great guys. They call their group Patriot Gold Group. They share our values and they get it. Gold has soared over $2,000 an ounce. Uh, many reasons, debt being one of the biggest. And I just saw a graph the other day of the amount of debt from George H.W. Bush and then Clinton and W. 
And it was like crazy. And then a huge jump. Every president since it's boom, boom, massive, massive, massive amounts of debt. And the more debt there is, the higher gold prices go. And there's a lot of forces at play, but that's one of the big ones. Call Patriot Gold Group. See if gold is right for you. See if it makes sense for you and your family. You can talk about a, a no-fee-for-life IRA, where your IRA or 401k can be turned into physical gold and silver. And you may be eligible for a no-fee-for-life IRA on qualifying rollovers. The number is one 617 Or you can just get gold and silver, like a bar. Just literally have gold and silver in your possession, like I do. one 617 Consumer Affairs top-rated gold IRA dealer seven years, seven years in a row. Come on. 888-617-6122. PatriotGoldGroup.com. It was exhilarating. It was exhilarating. It was energizing. Oh, yeah. If they weren't exhilarated, no, by this, this challenge to the monopoly of violence, but this shifting of the balance of power that they would not be human. I was exhilarated. That was a Cornell Law professor after October 7th. And the thing to note is it's not just him. We didn't just find like one guy. It's like most of them. William Jacobson is a fellow professor at the Ivy League Cornell University. He's the founder of Legal Insurrection, the Equal Protection Project, and also criticalrace.org, three wonderful websites. Professor, how are you, sir? Great, how are you? Glad you're here. If, if you had a 17-year-old son or daughter, would you send your kids to an Ivy League school today? Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to the Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I got to tell you, I think very long and hard about it. I think I'd want to understand what their goals are, what our goals are for that child, and whether that's a good fit. And that's a troubling question that two, three, five years ago, nobody would have asked. You go for the degree, you go for the name on your resume, but it's so toxic on these campuses that I don't know if I would, unless my son or daughter were super left-wing and super woke, uh, in which case these might be good places. But if it's just your average kid who wants to get ahead in life, I, I think that's a real question. It's really amazing because who would have ever thought that that would ever be true? <laughs> that would ever be that we would ever question. Like if you got a free ticket to Harvard or whatever, how would you not take that? Uh, but I think we're getting to the point where uh, more and more people won't. It may just, it may just not be worth the. I think there's a lot of employers. We spoke earlier about some employers who are like, nah, the the drama is just not worth it. You never know what you're going to yeah, get yeah. with an Ivy League grad these days. It's true. The brand was so strong. I mean, I went to Harvard Law School. And I would have taken it this, you know, 40 years ago uh, over any other school just because of the brand. Uh, I don't think we're going to get that anymore. I think Harvard's brand is severely tarnished. Whether it's permanently tarnished remains to be seen. A lot of people are using the Bud Light analogy that it was a super strong brand 
who thought they were above everybody else and thought they couldn't be touched and proved wrong. I don't know if Harvard will end up being the Bud Light of the Ivy League, but its brand is definitely tarnished. And I think you're right. A lot of employers, and I've heard this from a lot of people anecdotally in the law field, is they don't want to hire from Harvard and Yale and Stanford because they're getting a certain attitude from the students that's not healthy. What do you say to the people listening now? They're like, Professor Slater, like, I don't, I don't care. I'm not in college. My kids are out of college. It doesn't matter to me. This is just a dumb Harvard problem. It all stays in the bubble. What do you say to that? Well, you know, it, it does matter because these are the kids who go on to run the high tech businesses. They're the ones who are the censors at Twitter and elsewhere. They're the ones who go into government. They're the ones who uh, do a lot of things in life, including journalism, that impact us all. So you can't take the attitude that what happens on campus stays on campus because we know that's not true. We've seen what's happened with the attacks on conservatives via high tech and big tech. And that a lot of that comes from these students who are only four, five, six years out of Oberlin College. And they're in a sense running our life. So we do need to care about it, whether you've got a kid going into college or not. Yeah, and they're going to medicine and all these professions that control everything about us. It's, it's horrible. Because um, we always thought, I was mistaken, I thought they would grow out of it. Or, you know, they, they go into the real world and they get smacked in the face of the real world. Uh, but that just never happened. They never, they never stopped. And now there's these surveys out. There's a recent one from Harvard. It was uh, 18 to 24-year-olds. And there was 79% of them think that white people are, are oppressors. And you're like, wow, that's a problem when you have that many people. And will they grow out of that? I don't know, but you know, we've been warning about this for many years, long before people paid attention to it. And it starts now in kindergarten, the racialization of education, really from kindergarten on up, uh, is really so destructive of our society. It's setting people against each other. It's reinstituting racism in our society, but with different targets. And that's not healthy. I mean, this is not going to end well if we stay on this trajectory. But these students have never known anything else. We all think this is a just a higher ed problem. It's not. It's in K through 12 now. Look at the stuff your kids are studying in school. Look at what they're being taught. They're being taught a different type of racism. As, and it's the norm for them. They don't know any differently after 14 or 15 years of schooling. So this is a problem. I don't think it's going away. We've really got to fight it at every level of education. Yeah, and education is not the priority anymore. I think we have a tweet from Elon Musk here where uh, he talked about how there's been a demise in, here it is, a, a, a meaningful degradation in the capability of college students over the last several years. Have you noticed that with kids coming into school? And let, let me speak to my own real quick. I went to Yale and I went to a public school and I couldn't, leaving a public school, I couldn't write a proper essay. Um, I mean, there were tutors in college to like help you write. Like how pathetic. I know like, like it wasn't long ago when you needed, you needed to know how to like translate Virgil in order to even like accept it into these schools. So have you noticed that in your years in the Ivy League? Yeah, I think it's a little hard to generalize. I think if you asked most professors, they would say they have seen a generalized decline. Uh, of course, in my own teaching, I have very small classes, so you can't really judge that. Uh, but 
I do hear that from a lot of professors that they just don't feel the quality of student is not just at Cornell, it's elsewhere, is what it was a few years ago. The test scores may be the same, but there seems to be something missing. Perhaps it's a critical thinking, it's a questioning, it's uh, challenging of authority. People, the students seem to, to just go along with the prevailing ideology right now. Uh, again, that's a generalization, but it's a generalization that I've heard many times from many professors at many different schools. What's the problem with grade inflation? I saw a report the other day, it's like 80% of uh, Yale classes are A's or A minuses. Um, who cares? Why does that matter? What does that do to the student that they then take with them for the rest of their life? This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Well, it matters if you believe that those sort of assessments should have meaning, for example, in the hiring process. Are they a measure of anything? And I think the answer is nowadays, given the statistics you cited, and I've seen that elsewhere, I'm not sure grades are really a measure of anything anymore. And that's a problem because how do outsiders, how do employers, how do others judge whether someone has done well in school or not. And I think the answer from the, the social justice folks on campuses is you shouldn't be judging people. The mere fact that they're graduating from our school should be enough for you. Uh, and you should use factors other than merit, other than talent to hire people. And so that's a factor. I mean, this is just a, an endless and relentless tearing down of meritocracy, an endless tearing down of competition as if competition is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's something, it allows the people who are competent and who have you know, personal qualities and knowledge to excel. It's not, so one student doing well in a course is not you know, demeaning another student in the course. It's just a way of measuring things. And I think that but we can't measure things anymore because somebody's gonna do better than somebody else and that's going to make them feel bad. And the most important thing in higher education now is that nobody feel bad. Yeah, amazing. So that, that's sort of speaking on the, the graduation side. What about the getting inside? What does it take to get into an Ivy League school today? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't sit on any admissions committees. I've never been in that process. But I think we're all generally familiar that it's a lot more than grades and SATs now. It's ethnicity, it's race, it's other things. That's what the whole Harvard case that went to the Supreme Court exposed, that depending on your race and ethnicity, you may be getting favored. And it's not the way we used to think about it, where, where white candidates were favored. They're actually disfavored now. 
the most disfavored are Asian candidates, candidates of Asian background. Statistically, that's true. Harvard case proved that beyond any doubt. So it's a whole lot more now. It's really race, ethnicity, gender, gender identity, all sorts of other things that have nothing to do with academics and your likelihood of succeeding in an academic environment. Real quick, about 30 seconds, we uh, shared a quote from James Hill. He's a professor of philosophy, I believe, at DePaul University. He went as far to say that our higher education institutions are a national security threat. And there was that article in the Wall Street Journal about how all the problems in America can be traced back to the root of them that were born out of our academia. Those are pretty strong words. How do you characterize the state of higher education today? Well, I've said this for a while. I've been giving speeches about this for three plus years that the racialization of education is a threat to our nation. It is a threat to the cohesiveness of the nation. It's a threat to the success of the nation. It's pitting students against each other, pitting students against professors, pitting students against their parents, and pitting them against their country. This is a national security threat, what is happening in higher education and also K through 12. Uh, Professor William Jacobson, start at the website Legal Insurrection, make it a part of your daily routine. Professor, wonderful to talk to you as always, sir. Thank you. Great, thank you. Talking with the professor, I mentioned I went to a uh, public school. So a couple of things happened near the end of my public school time. One, the grade it took to pass the Regents exam, I went to school in Syracuse, New York. The, go, the, the grade to pass the New York State test went from a 65 to a 55. So they, they lowered the standards. And wouldn't you, wouldn't you believe it? More people graduated. Unbelievable. Wow, we're so much smarter now. Another thing happened when I was in public school, and that was they said, you know what? We don't need any more. Um, you don't need to know dates. Too difficult for kids to know dates of things in history. Forget about it. Don't worry about it. We'll just move past dates. We'll just get the big idea of things. So I went to college, and I was a history major at college. And I graduated as a history major. I was still an idiot. Because even, so at Ivy League, it's impossible to fail out of the Ivy Leagues. It is impossible. They have like a 98% graduation rate. You cannot, if you, you, you can get drunk every single day and never go to class. You will not fail out of an Ivy League school. So I graduated and I distinctly remember this moment when I absolutely beclowned myself in front of a man who is now the most decorated war hero alive. His name's Colonel Jim Harding. Uh, at the time, this was 10 years ago, he was like the 20th most decorated ever. And now he's the most decorated alive. Uh, and I was talking to him, he, he was in Korean and Vietnam, and I was talking to him and I did not know which war came first. I didn't know if the Vietnam War came first or the Korean War. I didn't know what, I didn't know what the order was. And he fought in both. And because I went to a public school that said dates aren't important when learning history, and because I went to a public school where nothing was ever connected, like no thoughts, no ideas were ever connected, I didn't even know which came first. I looked like a total idiot. So therefore, obviously, I was unable to make any like, sense of anything in life, which is the point of the system, to make useful idiots. And I distinctly remember where I was. I distinctly remember sitting there. And Colonel Harding was like a good man. He could have just like, he should have just like broken my neck. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, let's, let's get this guy out of his misery. Like, this is brutal. Uh, and he literally physically could have as well. But he didn't. He was very nice. But I distinctly remember it. I was like, oh, that can't happen again. So... I started to read. I started to read as much as I could. And I started to intentionally create a worldview that was the opposite of everything that the world gave me up to that point. 
right? I, I, I just had a worldview that was just like, I just like picked up along the way and it was just a mess. And I said, no, 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 no. I can I, I intentionally make a worldview here that makes in, integral sense. And that's why Ephesians 4.14 is so good. It says, uh, then we will no longer be uh, infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. That's what these universities are all about. They're all about their deceitful scheming, their cunning and their craftiness. And it makes people useful idiots easy to be tossed aside like infants back and forth in the waves. When you read and you connect dots and you put things together and you know which wars came first when, you can start to make sense of the world in a real way. They don't do that in our public schools and they don't do that even in the Ivy League schools either. Mike Slater, don't hold that story against me. Mike Slater, the first TV, spread the word. This podcast brought to you by the Public Square app. Have you not used this yet? It's unbelievable. And it's growing, it is flourishing. When Donald Trump Jr. came aboard and then they went public, you know, you never know. That's a, that's a big change. And it's only gotten better. It's only gotten better because they're staying true to their principles and they'll never sell out. That's the whole point of the app is to feature companies that don't sell out, to feature businesses and people who don't sell out. They themselves will never sell out. It's a place you can go, you can trust that you're not going to spend your money uh, and give it to people who hate you and people who hate your values and what we stand for. It's a totally free app on your phone, Public Square, and it features only businesses who share your values. And you can shop local, which is awesome. That's how I started. And you can also buy stuff, of course, anywhere across the country, but through the app. Again, only people that share your values. It's awesome. PublicSQ.com to read more about what these values are. And uh, public, just download it. You'll love it. Public Square in the App Store. We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech and not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? When you testify that you understand that is the def definition of intifada. Is that speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression, even of views that are objectionable. You and I both know that's offensive. not the case. You were aware that Harvard ranked dead last when it came to free speech. Are you not aware of that report? Wide berth. That's great. Jason Rance is here. Radio show host out of Seattle, author of the great book, What's Killing America? Jason, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, thank you. Roger here. What's wrong with what uh, the president of Harvard said right there? They give a wide berth to even objectionable views, but it's all freedom of speech, Jason. What's the problem? Yeah, so, I mean, there's so many different problems. We'll start with this. She took emotion completely out of it. And when we're talking about calls for genocide, even if you were to argue that some of the language is protected, and to be clear, some language is in fact protected, you can't take emotion out of it. Number two, we know that if this was comparable in going after transgender folks and going after black people or Latinos or Latinx, God forbid you actually say Latino instead of Latinx, she would not have that same exact answer. She would be very forceful in her condemnation. I think that's really what this is about. This is very clearly a case of a double standard. And then number, number three, 
she's ignoring the fact that there's hostile environment, right? A hostile campus environment towards Jews at Harvard and so many other schools. And I think her seemingly purposefully ignoring that all to defend someone's right to scream about an intifada and to say you want to erase Israel from a map, that is, to, to use their term, problematic. <laughs> How bad is Harvard and these top schools? The, the truth is, Harvard is probably no worse than many other schools. I think that you have a lot of tolerance for anti-Semitism on a college campus all across the country. And I'm glad we're talking about Harvard and some of the other schools because it's bringing a larger spotlight on it. But let's be clear, this is an issue that's happening on schools all across the country. And it's happening because it's being pushed by radical educators who are getting in front of these kids. Remember, they start the indoctrination very, very early. So they're looking at everything through this oppressor versus oppressed lens. And if you are taught to see things like that, if you're taught to see Jews, Israelis, as just white people with privilege, which is how they view Jews, we are not white people with privilege. We are Jewish people. Some have privilege, some don't. It's very weird how that works. But to them, it's just black and white. Jews are bad because they have power, because we're perceived as white. Everybody else is the oppressed. On your first point about how this is all college campuses, I was talking to Alec Marlowe, the editor-in-chief of Breitbart.com. He went to Berkeley, um, or whatever, 15 years ago. And he said, you know, Berkeley's like the standard bearer for like the wackiest, craziest. He said that, what it was 15 years ago, is now the average college campus. If not, maybe even like the best. Like he was a conservative who wrote for the local paper, the school, the school newspaper. You can't do that today in many of just your average schools today. So this is now everywhere. And then, of course, we talked to our last guest about how this has um, seeped out. Not seeped out. Seeped out implies like an accident. Purposefully been sent out to every other institution in our country. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I know your book talks about the progressive lifestyle. What is the progressive lifestyle that started in our universities? Well, I think the progressive lifestyle is really getting started in the higher education. And again, in a lot of scenarios, high school level, where they are lay, laying the groundwork, the radical left, they lay the groundwork for a way to view every single issue through very specific lenses. And you can call it what you want, because obviously we've been talking a lot over the course of the last few years about critical race theory, about social justice. But at the end of the day, it is this ideology that is considered obsessed with identity politics. And so when you're judging people by identity and solely by identity, Nothing that goes into that identity or how to use that identity, merely the identity, what you have set up is this hierarchy of power. And thus you see different groups of people based upon where you are proclaiming their power structure lie. And it's, it's very simplistic, it's very silly, but that's unfortunately what's happening. And the, these kids are getting taught to view pretty much every issue through that lens and we're seeing the consequences of that. If not that lens, what lens should we be viewing the world at? And maybe it's a twofold question. Maybe the first part is, what lens did we used to that they tore down and replaced with this? Or what would you replace this one with if we were able to tear this Marxist lens down? So I don't think we should be viewing anything through an ideological lens. I think we can react to policies, to ideas, but to judge people through that lens, I think is just inherently wrong. We should look at people and judge them based upon how they are as people, whether or not they argue in good faith, whether they're good people to be around, whether they act 
in ways that you know meet our values and principles. I think that that's how we're supposed to judge one another. We're not, however, supposed to judge them based on an identity. I don't care if someone happens to be white or black, Jewish or Christian or atheist or Satanist. At the end of the day, I'm gonna view them on how they act. And if they are using those identities to act in a certain way that conflicts with my own personal values and principles, Okay, well, then that's when we should be judging them, or certainly that's when I'm going to judge someone. I think we went from, from a place, not, not to use, it, it is a lazy argument at this point, but I think it's still valid. We went from a place of looking at MLK Jr. and saying, hey, guess what? We're going to judge people not on the basis of their skin color, but the basis of their character, who they are as people. That used to be the societal idea, and I don't know why folks on the radical left decided that that wasn't good enough other than wanting to impose their ideological views on people. And I think they see this as a way to do that, just indoctrinating the youth, making sure that they go into the real world, get into positions of power, change the culture, and then ultimately change our government and our direction as a country. Yeah, that's all right. I would also argue that character implies virtue and virtue implies differentiation and differentiation implies who are you to say and we can't have that. We can't have any judgment or discretion or discrimination in any way, even on merit or character. Um, we talked about a Wall Street Journal article earlier today where he said every, every problem in America today can be stemmed back to the university. Um, and I know you talk about a lot of these in your book, obviously. What's one that stands out to you as clearly having its ideological roots in the university system? Well, I think the, the whole dynamics around power structure, I think that's incredibly important because that is how, how they view individual groups that they seek to protect, that they seek to push ahead of others. I mean, if we generally come from a position, I know you and I share this position of, we treat everyone equally. Now, at that point, judging people equally, then you judge them based on how they act as human beings. But unfortunately, what these kids are being taught is that you have to look at whatever this identity is. And based on that identity, they have to be treated in certain ways, they have to be offered certain handouts, certain concessions, solely based on this identity. And at times, you're, they call it intersectionality, which is this academic concept that really, really is talked about only on college campuses, where you've got competing identities that might make you more of an oppressed person than the other person. Because we see this happening with left-wingers all the time, where you have someone who's maybe just a cisgendered woman going up against a transgender woman. Well, transgender and female is now higher on that list. So that person gets more concessions and more protections at the expense, oftentimes, of the person that they're competing with. And I think that viewing things through those lenses and then creating policies around that, I think, is just absolutely horrific. And it started in college. Yeah, and they're not stopping anytime soon until we stop them. Jason Rance, author of What's Killing America. Go buy the book. Jason, appreciate you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. So we started off with Cornell. We talked a little bit of Harvard there. Coming up next, we'll talk with a UPenn grad. By the way, Donald Trump graduated from Pennsylvania. No one ever talks about that. Is anyone going to ask Donald Trump about his alma mater? Next time we talk to him, we will. Coming up next, Mike Slater, right here on The First TV. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking 
specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. If the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm gonna give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. Someone made a meme of Auschwitz, you know, the sign above Auschwitz and it says, uh, work will set you free. Someone changed it to, it depends on the context. Aaron Wexler is here, UPenn graduate. That was the president of uh, University of Pennsylvania Ivy League School. Aaron Wexler is a graduate of that school. Her social media, non-lib take. Aaron, how are you? Hey, Mike, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Uh, but please don't hold it Were against you? me that I went to Penn. Totally, I agree, I won't. Uh, we'll just say you went to school in Philadelphia. That's uh, it's much, yeah, much more general and, 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 and wonderful. Um, when did you become a conservative? Or, or, or were you politically active on campus when you were there? I was politically active on campus. I have been a conservative since I was a young kid in New York. So I have very thick skin. It has been a lifetime of defending my beliefs. And when I was in, in college, I was part of the College Republicans group. I was editor-in-chief of Penn Political Review, which at the time was a bipartisan or nonpartisan paper, uh, but things have changed a lot since I was there. Although when I was there, we had the signs of these great institutions, these universities turning into what is essentially a woke madrasa at this point, churning out you know, woke, blue-haired zeezers who are totally ill-prepared to deal with the world now. Yeah. So what did you see when you were there? How intentional was their indoctrination? It was very intentional, and it's definitely reflective of what we're seeing in the broader culture today. It's really these institutions, what we're seeing, we're so focused on the colleges, the campuses right now, but they are just the smoke to the fireball that is our culture everywhere. And as much as we could blame the left for this and the very woke professors and presidents leading these institutions, we as conservatives do need to take a good look at ourselves and ask ourselves how we let it get this far. It has been the slow boil of the frog, and we've really treated every small step as not a big deal, but now we're at a boiling point as a country, as our culture. And when I was there, you could see the signs. You knew that when you had a conservative professor, they were conservative because they were not telling you their beliefs. Whereas your liberal professors thought it was their God-given right, or as they might say it, their science-given right, uh, to shove their opinions down your throat. And you knew that if you wanted to get the A in the class, you had to write a certain kind of narrative and favor a certain argument in your papers. It has always been there. And even when I was a, an undergrad student almost a decade ago, you could see how the university was slowly taking apart the culture, first with Greek life that they thought represented the patriarchy to the professors that they were hiring to replace the old guard. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we've talked before about the history of why and when the left purposefully decided to go into academia and really take it over and make it like this fortress of that they can progressivism that they can indoctrinate and send professors out all the professionals out to the world but but it's, that's one thing but then i've never really considered the conservatives who were there maybe they just never put up a fight like why did they cede that ground or maybe it's kind of what you said at the end there maybe they just retired and weren't replaced by other conservatives 
Well, it's all of it. The left has always been very good at mobilizing and influencing the culture. And I think we conservatives felt it was their right. If people want to think a certain way and have certain beliefs, that was fine. But it was a very subtle transition, which has led us to this point where uh, we are calling, there are calls for genocide on our college campuses. Uh, these universities a long time ago decided that it was more important to be open-minded and favor DEI than to favor rigorous hard work and excellence. And they became so open-minded that their brains fell out. Uh, so you know, it, this has been this has been a long time coming for sure. And and I'll say one more thing, which is uh, I wonder where all of our donors have been. You know, we're seeing all these billionaires come out now, these major donors uh, calling for these university presidents to step down and for change on campus. Where were they when Penn was allowing a man in the women's locker room when they were allowing men to compete on women's sports teams? So yes, this is definitely about anti-Semitism, about Jews, it's the world's oldest hatred. But in some ways, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the woke culture. And I'm wondering where everyone was two months ago. Yeah, there's there's the prestige of it all, right? The glitter of the Ivy League. You walk on campus in this big, these big August buildings and the grandeur of it all. And, oh, Ben Franklin at Penn. And there's all this, like, you know, all this to it. I think it just took a lot, right, to... to see through all of that, all those stone buildings to see what's really going on there. Uh, I got a, I got plenty of stories that we can share, but I'd rather, rather ask you um, of just, do you have an example of just like some nonsense that you remember hearing on campus when you were there? That's just like, whoa, what? Like maybe something that was like on campus that you thought would only stay on campus, but now like everyone believes this stuff. It's just normal now. Yeah, I, I actually think it goes back even to high school. So I was in a New York City prep school uh, over again, over a decade ago, at this point, almost 15 years. And I was put on a diversity panel when I was in high school for middle schoolers, showing them it was okay to be different. They had someone who was on financial aid. They had a lesbian, a very tall kid, a religiously different kid, and me as a conservative. And when I stood up on that podium and said, uh, I believe in limited government, individual autonomy, and a strong military, because I am a Republican. You could hear the gasps in the audience, like the absolute horror that, that they let a conservative into the school. And for the year after that, I would have girls come up to me in the bathroom whispering, I am a conservative too. You know, it was, it was this underground conservative movement in the high school. So this goes way further back from even universities. And they, they're, it's at the point where they claim that they are places for safe spaces, but it's a safe space as long as you're not a white man, a Jew, or a conservative. Yeah, surely. And I bet on that panel that they have at that school, I bet they don't have conservatives on it anymore. They, that doesn't that doesn't even count. No, we're um, not allowed to. No, no. When your kids turn 17 and they want to be just like mom and they want to go to Penn, what would you say to them? Over my dead body, I will not be sending any children to these universities. I think they're so far past redemption. Sometimes, you know, with a house, there's a, a good cleaning that it needs or a renovation or a gutting or a teardown. We are at the point with these institutions where we need to we need to tear them down and start over. We need new institutions like University of Austin. There are you know really great people starting new foundations, and that's where we need to go because at this point, it's not only the the president. So getting rid of President McGill, we'll see what happens at Harvard. It's only the first step. The rot is so deep down to the professors, down to the students. I don't know that there is any saving them at this point. Uh, those are conveyor belt of. Claudine Gaze right behind her. Aaron oh, yeah. Wexler, UPenn grad, follow on all the socials, non-lib take. Aaron, great to talk to you. We'll do it again. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you.
think about how far our schools have fallen. Like no Penn grad or Harvard or Yale, whatever, would ever think I won't send my kids there. Like the, one of the points of going there is so that you can then send your kids there one day. Let me end on this point. So the Ivy League schools, except for Cornell, because Cornell was founded after the Civil War, but the other seven Ivy League schools, they were all founded as seminaries. Yale's founding principle was youth may be instructed in the arts and sciences who through the blessing of God may be fitted for public employment both in church and civil state. And students were required to live religious, godly, blameless lives according to the rules of God's word. They were required to diligently read the Holy Scriptures, the fountain of light and truth, and to constantly attend upon all the duties of religion, both in public and in secret. That was the motto of Yale. If you wanted to go to Yale in 1701, that's what you needed to do. That's who you were. That's what the school was. The other day, I went to the website of the Yale's chaplain office. And here's their, their logo at the Yale chaplain's office. It's the coexist bumper sticker on steroids. I don't even know, I don't even know what some of those logos are. Like what's the feather in that? I don't even know, like what even, what religion even are those things? The motto of Harvard is Veritas. And a lot of people have made the point that their motto is truth. Uh, and now the president's talking about my truth, all that, right? That's not the original motto for Harvard. The original motto for Harvard in 1650 was for the glory of Christ. <laughs> Princeton's motto, it's still on their shield. Don't tell anyone this. It says in Latin, it says uh, New Testament. And then underneath it, the logo is, or the motto is, under God's protection, she flourishes. That's the official motto. The unofficial motto today is in the service of humanity. So you see the difference? Under God's protection, she flourishes to in the service of humanity and trans people. The president of Yale, Timothy Dwight, 1795, his uh, name's all over campus. Again, don't tell the kids at Yale. 1795, he said, he said to commit our children to the care of irreligious persons is to commit lambs to the superintendency of wolves. To give our kids to this brood of woke vipers, it's a risky move. Would you do it? Look at our universities now. As our last guest said, Aaron, the rot is deep. Christopher Hitchens, he said, uh, uh, you see now how far the termites have spread and how long and how well they have dined. I look forward to the rise of alternatives to what we've seen for a long time. Unquestioned, what's been going on unquestioned for a long time. There must be alternatives and we must choose them. Mike Slater, The First TV, spread the word. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.